Small Business Tip Show, Episode 18. Welcome to the Small Business Tip Show. I am your host, Frank Thomas, with Nancy Beauvair. We've got a really excellent show for you today. We're going to be talking about pricing and positioning your product or service. So it's a good show, something you need to listen to if you need some help getting that right. Stay tuned. So, Nancy, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Frank. I can't believe it's December already. How are you doing? Oh, crazy, crazy. It's been a busy week here. I, I'm Sam. I'm, I I just can't believe it's December as well. Getting close to Christmas time here. But, you know, that's all good. Exactly. But uh, it's been a fast year and lots of learning. We've both been on this learning curve. And we, I know we are on our last show, we're talking about... Um, you know, how to price and position your product or your service. I, I'll, I'm going to condense that and just say position your product because your service is a product as well. Exactly, yeah. But uh, it's interesting how the conversation worked around because you've had some experience trying to put, you know, things into perspective when it comes to pricing. Uh, you are mostly a services-based uh, business, whereas I'm becoming more of a product-based business. And I went through that whole exercise as well. Um, yeah, it can be really awkward, can't it, trying to find that sweet spot? Absolutely. It's interesting because it's, it comes down to if it's too cheap, you go broke. If it's too expensive, you go broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> and if it's too cheap, people think you're too cheap. Exactly. And that's one thing, too. It's, it's, it's interesting because pricing does bring a sense of value to you and your customer. And that's what the really interesting thing is. Okay, so just to give you guys an idea of what we're going to be talking about here, because we've kind of jumped in here already. <laughs> a little too fast. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all good. That's all good. So we want to really look at the pricing and how it provides that sense of value to you and your customer, as well as we want to look at some examples and some ideas on how to position your product or service. And finally, how to gauge realistic expectation of sales, uh, how to build up an idea, an idea of a profit margin, long-term forecasting, which is extremely difficult sometimes. Uh, but we want to kind of touch into all three of those areas. So, Nancy, um, you have a services-based business. You do a lot of marketing. You help companies market themselves. Um, what have you found to be successful things that you've done that have been profitable to you but have been a, uh, you got the head nod from the customer and they're happy as well when it comes to pricing your services? Um, that's kind of a loaded question there, Frank. It's not, <laughs> not, not really so cut and dried. There's, uh, as you mentioned, there, there are a lot of things that I, I offer through, through my business. One of the key things that I focus on, because without this you really have nothing else, is the marketing strategy of your business. Uh, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, with, with marketing, they tend to jump in and say, oh, you know, I just got to put out these brochures or I've got to run an ad or I've got to do um, um, Facebook ads or, or something like that. And if you don't have the core strategy in place, you might as well just take that money and throw it away. Yeah, flush so, it down totally. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So that's, that's really where I focus. That's my key component. That's where I rebranded my business, as you well know, uh, earlier this year. And that has been my focus. But within that as well, once we've identified the strategy, my, my company is in the position to either help with the fulfillment and the execution of the plan, or I can work with the client's uh, preferred vendors, or I can outsource it to strategic alliances that I have. So as far as pricing and finding that sweet spot, a lot of it is unfortunately trial and error. You have to, you have to see what people are willing, are willing to spend. Um, now, I know once upon a time, back in the day, like even 12, 15 years ago, a marketing-based company, uh, services company, would go and do the analysis on a company for their strategy and, and give them a report and say, you know, here's, here's your strengths and your weaknesses and here's where we need to focus. And that used to work really well. One of the things that I found out as we've become more digitized is that that model doesn't work anymore. People will take that information, but they won't necessarily give you your business. So if you spent five or six hours compiling this report, you can be left holding the bag. So when I rebranded this year, one of the things that I did was I decided I have to charge for my time. So I've started affixing a price to providing that marketing evaluation. Finding that price has been the key. That's actually a really important point you just made that uh, something we didn't talk about before, but it is an extremely important point. And that's something I do do within my own business as well, is I make sure before I spend a lot of time, in your case with a customer, in my case with actually developing a product, I want to see if the per- if somebody's going to buy it. If somebody you go to somebody and you say to them, hey, you know, I'll do this and this and this and I'll do it for free, who's going to say no? Yeah, exactly. You, but you have no, they have no skin in the game. They have no commitment to, to uh, go further with you. And that's a really good idea. Now, yes, it will. I can hear people screaming and when they're listening to the show. Yes, you will lose customers, but they're not your customers. Yeah, that's right. They are right. just your time eaters. And I've been actually, within my business, I've been reducing these people who are time eaters. Very important. you got to get rid of those people out of your business. You need to find the people whom are going or the or the activities that are going to increase your bank account for your business. Well, and not only that, but those are the people that that value what you are doing. And in turn, I don't know about you, but I learn a lot from my clients. I, I gain value from them by working with them as well. Very true. Very true. And that is actually part of uh learning how to position and gauge your product as well as gauge your pricing is working with your customers. To give you some idea, recently we've been releasing the software and sometimes it's a little more tangible with a piece of software. One thing I did and even within my services side of my business when I was doing a lot more services work was instead of attaching an hourly rate to something, I would attach a price to something and I would test that price and I'd see if people felt it was fair. And if you're too expensive, people are going to tell you. They're either going to say, they're either going to go, mm, 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 or they're going to say it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. Or I've, I've had that situation where there's been a few times I've done a deal and I've come in I, too cheap and they jump on it and they know yeah. that I'm inexpensive. <laughs> so they just jump on it and they're cutting a check and then you start thinking, geez, did I quote too low a price? But again, that comes with education, comes with learning. 
it comes, comes with practice and trial and error. <laughs> practice and trial and error. Very true, very true. And uh, I have found even in services, attaching a price to a service instead of an hourly rate, even mechanics, they will say, you know, a break job is 2.5 hours and we charge $135 an hour. So it's going to be whatever that is, like 260 or 270 or $280 or $300. So they've are quoting prices to the actual job instead of hours. Now, if the mechanic is good and he's fast and he gets it done in an hour, a lot of mechanics will still charge you that $300 because he's quoted you a price and you've went, okay. Some mechanics do, some mechanics don't. I'm not picking on mechanics, but all trades should be like that. We should have an idea what our, what our average uh, expectation of profitability is on a job. And we make sure that we're, we're not working for free. And uh, that's what we price ourselves out at. And if the customer is not interested, then truly they're actually not your customer. If you find nobody wants to be your customer, then you might have to reflect and look at your pricing strategy. That works in most cases. What I will say is in a services-based industry, there are still going to be times that it's pretty hard to do that. Um, I think that, that you're right. For most things, you can do that. And people like something tangible. If I say I'm going to charge $75 an hour, um, what I found in, in, in marketing land is people have no concept of how long it's going to take. Mm -hmm. So they're a bit afraid of that. You know, oh, I'm going to pay, you know, if it, if it takes 20 hours, I'm, I'm going to pay X amount of money. Where if, if I do have an idea of how much that particular project is going to cost, I can say I can do it for X. Then they can budget for that. But that's a problem, too, which is probably another show, getting people to determine what their actual budget is in marketing. If I had a dime for every time I said to a client, what is your budget? And they said, I don't know. What, what, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what your um, finances are. I don't know what your revenue is. So give me an idea. I can give you a completely different different process if your budget is $5,000 or if it's $50,000. That just makes sense. That does make sense. One thing I have done in the past too, especially when in services, is when a job is a little bit indeterminate when it comes to how long it's going to take, what I'll normally do is I'll give them a high water and a low water uh, price. I'll say to them, it could take me two hours, but it could take me five hours. There's a big spread here because Things could happen. Things could just line up. The moon and the stars line up and everything just happens quickly. And you will re reap the benefit of that. So for two hours, it'll be, let's say, $210. For five hours, it'll be uh, $530. Now, if you have an expectation to pay $530 and I come to you and say $210, good on you. And I found that most clients are actually pretty good with that. I found that uh, it, it, it does provide a realis realistic expectation. Sometimes they'll question, well, why would it take an extra 10 hours, an extra 20 hours? And you explain a few things. You don't need to get technically deep, but you just need to kind of gloss through it. You know, if they want more information, you can give it to them. But nine times out of 10, really, they're still sussing you out and they're still judging whether they should say yes. They haven't said no, they're still judging whether they should say yes. And a lot of people feel they're being shot down at that point in time. And that's not the truth. 
the truth of the matter is, is that what you've told them sounds okay, but they just want to get a good feeling about that. I think that's a really good strategy, Frank. Another thing that I have found works for me is when I'm preparing my proposal for my client, I tell them in detail what that quote covers and that if there is additional stuff that is required or if certain issues come up, that it could cost X. So I, I, mm-hmm. I give them both sides of things. So it's, it's just a little bit uh, of a variation on, on what you just said there. But yeah, people like to have some kind of a, a, an idea and they like to know that you're being honest with them about things. True. And the honesty stems to the point where saying this is what my service incorporates is a very good point. It's one that I, I'm apt to forget. And a lot of tradespeople are, are guilty of this as well. They'll come in and the customer will say, I want a new deck put on the back of my house. Customer looks at it. Okay, what would you like to use? Oh, I like to use cedar. And so he gets an idea what the materials are going to be and how big the deck is going to be and the options he wants on the deck. And he builds the deck. And well, he's any, he, but he gives a price to the customer. He says, okay, to build that deck, it's going to cost you $2,000. Customer goes two thumbs up, gives him a deposit and the uh, contractor runs away and starts building a deck. Now, while he's building the deck, the customer walks out and goes, you know, I really like to have lighting on the deck. Oh, okay. So the, the contractor puts lighting on the deck and the, the guy looks at it and goes, oh, I'd really like to have two toned wood so the customer goes out and buys a more expensive wood to give a darker two-tone so basically the project starts to creep and when the customer gets the final bill the bill's three thousand dollars and the customer goes what you told me two thousand dollars and the contractor said well but you asked for lighting you asked for two-tone you asked for this and you asked for that which is above well you didn't say anything to me and it runs and this sort of thing ends up in court. I, I've talked to friends of mine who are contractors, and that's exactly what happens. And there's times when the, you'll actually say to the customer, oh, lighting is going to be about an extra $500 because I have to get an electrician involved. And the customer goes, oh, okay. And then later he'll go, oh, and you'll say, for the two-tone wood, it's going to be another $500 because this wood is more expensive and we have to do a little bit more creative work and then the labor is higher. Oh, Okay, the customer's not keeping a running tally in his mind. And even then, he can come to the bill and have sticker shock. But if you actually present and say, here, sign off on it, and they see the initial bill, and then they see the addition on it, and they can see the total, oh, okay. And then when you, if you do that every time, they're going to eventually going to go, okay, I think we're done. I think I'm happy with the way things look. I don't want to spend more than $3,000. There's no sticker shock anymore. And you avoid a lot of complex situations at that point. It's funny that you bring up the, the concept of the contractors because that does happen a lot of the time, uh, not just with contractors, but of course in business in general. But I grew up in a, in a blue-collar family. My, my father was uh, uh, a tradesman. He was a, a journeyman painter and a wood finisher. And in the trade, what you have to learn is, is what you say. You, you write up the parameters of the contract, and then all those other things that you were talking about, the lighting, uh, the different wood, any of that stuff comes under the term extras. Mm -hmm. And the client always has to sign off and they understand about the extras. And then, Mm -hmm. as you say, that avoids 
sticker shock that avoids court cases and it it doesn't sour anybody where they're going to go and and speak poorly even though it wasn't the contractor's fault no absolutely not and again it's keeping that realistic expectation especially when you're providing a service with the customer Mm -hmm. i know uh my previous business before i started my own business was it services and the one thing I always had to be be cognitive of was people would say, oh, yeah, th- you're doing that. Hey, can you take a look at this as well? And can you take a look at this? And now you went from a two-hour, three-hour job to eight hours of work. And then again, they're gagging. And it's like, but I still have to charge you for my time here. And I've had situations yeah. with customers. Even though you're well-intended, you know, well-intentions and that, sometimes things happen and it's important to always keep the customer apprised of that. Now, and it doesn't hurt to give them a little bit of a of a of a gimme. If they come to you and say, you know, can you do this? Well, yeah, it's not in the contract, but you know what, I'll throw that in. But then if they keep coming back, you have to make sure that you're placing that that ceiling, that value on your own time and services and ability so that the clients don't intentionally or unintentionally take advantage of 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 you and your services. Mm-hmm. The one thing to remember, too, I believe, is the fact that no client, nobody really is going out of, out of the way to, like you said, take advantage of you. No, I'll, let me correct that. There's going to be a small minority that will. Very small, yeah. But most people don't really think about it. It's not their problem, so they don't really think about it. It's your problem. And so, they don't understand everything that it takes to resolve a problem in many cases. Correct. And that's why they hired you as being the expert or your product as being the, the solution. That's right. Now, another place to, when it comes to gauging price and how to properly gauge price is when you're doing product sales. As Nancy, you know, I'm starting to go venture deeper into software sales uh, and providing software products. And I tell you something, it was a tricky beast to gauge the price of the product. It was tricky, you've been tricky, to, tricky. You've been through Product Pricing University in the last month. Oh, that is an <laughs> understatement. Well, to give you guys an idea, we built a product, and I wanted the product to be affordable to the consumer. I looked at our competitors and how they priced their products. Our competitors ranged everywhere from $37, which was a crappy product and didn't work, to um, $200 a month. And it, we had pricing everywhere in between. So basically, everybody's trying to gauge and guess where they should be. Now, I believe that the, uh, the pricing of $37 for the product is unrealistic. But the pricing for um, uh, $200 a month is also unrealistic. We saw a product that is uh, like ours, but it was much more manual. And um, it was $500. And we said, okay. And so what I did is I built a pricing model of $97 up front and $37 per month. And I thought, you know, after a year, if they stick with us for a year, it's cost them $500 and they didn't have to come up with $500 today. Right. And um, we tried multiple prices. We, we tried everything from about $67 up to $147 on the initial price. But people got stuck on those monthlies. They were like, $37 a month? Really? <laughs> and... They it they have a and and I've actually explained to a few customers if you want this product to work for the long term it's going to have to be continuously updated and touched uh, because we are working with other people's sites they're going to make a change we need to make a change uh, so we have to continuously update our software you're going to want new features so we're going to be continuously updating the software 
We're going to be stamping out bugs that we don't know about right now, so we have to update the software. And even programmers don't work for free. A lot of people think they do, but they don't. And uh, we still had that. I had I, it was kind of funny. It was eye opening. We had one fellow who was a uh, a, a, a per product purchaser of ours and got in contact with us and started talking to us. He was a, a large um, affiliate. Like he makes about thirty or forty thousand dollars a month. So he's not lacking for money. And even he said, you know, I got kind of stuck on that monthly. I was like, 37 bucks a month? And he said, and when I started to talk to a lot of our testers who were testing the product for sales, like because we actually had people sending out uh, sales letters and testing our sales letter, testing our sales copy as well as our pricing. And when we started hitting them up and saying, what's, what's your response on the monthlies? We actually had the same thing over and over. People don't want to pay monthlies. Now, was it monthlies in general, Frank, or was it the monthlies amount in general. of them? Okay. Monthlies in general. What's happened is software as a service has become much more the, the norm nowadays, and right. consumers are a little ticked by it. They'd rather just pay a price. And you know something? I actually don't blame them. So what I had to do is, I'm, and this is the third point, is gauging our realistic expectations on return on a product. We went and talked to the experts in the field of uh, product sales within our particular um, category and said, okay, what is the realistic expectation of sales on the low end and on the high end? Because I need to know what's the bad side of things and what's the good side of things. And we talked to a few people about this because that's important too. You need to talk to more than one person. Mm -hmm. And we, got a, we gauged an idea of what expectation of sales volume should be based upon certain factors. So what I started to do then is I started looking at pricing. But I also started looking at, okay, how long does it take us to put a new product out? What's the, what's the time frame? What is the expense for that product? And to for a company to have an unrealistic profit margin is, is not sustainable. I don't care what it is. Even the cell phone companies, there used to be a time when they would charge you 29 cents or 30 cents for a minute of sell time, and it was costing them one or two cents to, to, to handle that. In Canada, there's still sanctions in place that are allowing them to still charge a fortune. But in other places like the United States, that's gone. So right. now you can get sell uh, conversation for five, six cents per minute. And the prices are pretty close to five or six cents per minute now to maintain that. So it's not a realistic long-term expectation and in Canada I would have to honestly say and it's my belief and I could be completely wrong that that uh, the prices are inflated by regulatory powers um, so if you take that anomaly out of the equation having an unrealistic expectation of profits is not a long-term strategy we built our base on the fact that we would be charging a certain amount per every month so nobody had to come up with a whole bunch of money and we thought that would sell didn't sell so what we did is we changed the model, and when we said, and the price was sitting at $97 still, and once I knew the numbers on approximate sales volume, I said I figured out how much we had to make, we had to gross to cover all our expenses for about a three-month period, because that's about the development time for a new product, about three months. And I looked at it, and I went, hmm, we need to make, X, let's say we have to make $100,000 or $150,000. So what I basically did is I just did simple math. I said, okay, if I'm selling this product for $97 and that's all I ever get out of it, how many sales do I need to make? And I discovered that there was actually a strong realistic expectation on profits. 
that we right. can actually manage and support that by charging 97 or even a higher price on the initial startup, but nothing else thereafter. And if anything, if we ever put out a new version, which was rel uh, radically updated and had new features, then what we could do at that point, let's say a year down the line, release it as, you know, uh, my software product 2.0 and charge our current customer base a a uh, reduced um fee. sorry an upgrade fee an upgrade fee a small upgrade fee and then re-release re the product to the general public at a slightly higher price again and the model actually worked really good i was actually very lucky to talk to a few people who have been doing this for a few years and they, they said without a shadow of a doubt that model works really well so that's what we've adopted. And I'll have to be honest with you, we went from really bad sales, like we're talking, we're touching, you know, 20, 30,000 people making a sale, which is terrible, <laughs> terrible, to all of a sudden we touch that, that volume of people and we make several sales, many, many sales, as soon as we drop that, that model. Now, the funny thing was we needed a way to um, close off the particular sales funnel for this one person who was testing. And he actually wanted us to bring the product down for a little while to show real scarcity to the product. And I was like, you know, well, truly that's a bit of a, it's, it's a false tactic. Right. So I said to him, what if I raise the price to $147? What do you think? He said, absolutely. That's great too. So I raised the price to $147. Now a funny thing happened. People kept buying. Mm-hmm. That said to me immediately that they felt that even at $147, this is still an acceptable price. They would rather come up with $147, almost what we would want for the first six months right up front instead of paying a monthly. You know, that's uh, an interesting um, process that you've been through, Frank, and I, I, I bow to you and your and your partners on on going through all of that and and sharing it with everybody here. Um, when you talk about the monthly model and the software as a service uh, model, I, I want to just throw this out there. I haven't discussed this with you before, so this might be <laughs> might be blindsiding you a bit. Um, when you talk to me about about this product and the monthly, I'm I'm all like, yeah, that seems that seems fair, because I'm thinking back to. I did something that I had resisted over the years as well, and I signed up for Microsoft Office 365 uh, for my business. Part of it is it's not an inexpensive <clears throat> excuse me, piece of software to go out and buy one time, and they're always making updates, and they've started fixing it so that you do have to pay for the upgrade or, or whatever with, with Office. You can't just let it float for eight years like you used to. So for me to pay $10 a month, seemed like a good deal. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to throw this out to you. Do you think that it depends maybe on what the software product is? We all know that things like Microsoft Office are um, productivity uh, software services that are used every day in so many different capacities. Do you think that the difference is your software also is a productivity uh, software, but it has a specific niche? Do you think that that might play into the resistance on the monthly model versus the success that, for instance, Microsoft Office is starting to reap. You're, you, you, you've actually hit the nail on the head, and I've actually thought about this already. One of the things that is uh, not in our favor is Microsoft Office, we, we think about it as a singular product, but really you're getting access to five or six products all at once. So if I said to you, Nancy, for you to be able to use 
Microsoft Outlook, it's going to be 10 bucks a month. And then if you want to use Microsoft Excel, it's 10 bucks a month. And if you want to use Microsoft Word, Word. it's 10 bucks a month. You yep. would start to go, hold on a second here. Yeah, that's right. I'm just going to go out and buy it. it. Correct. And if for you to go out and buy it, it's $300. Now the monthly actually starts looking pretty good. And what's mm -hmm. happening is, is Microsoft is still getting what they want to make. Oh, yeah. Just about, I would say, if their software cycle on that software between updates is 18 months or 24 months, I think it's 24 months, to be honest with you. Hmm. I don't know if it's even that much, Frank. I've had updates already just since I subscribed earlier this year. I'm thinking major revision, though. I'm thinking oh, okay, going gotcha. from Office 2004 to 2005. Let's right. Let's say 12 months. What's going to happen is they're going to say, okay, we want to make um, $279 on sale on a sale for a license for a computer. Now, if we break that into 12 payments, it's going to be X number, uh, let's say $25 a month. I'm just guessing. I know it's not right, but it's close. Now, that's, again, a good way to judge the value. And now what they will do is they'll reduce that again. And they'll say, you just give us $10 a month. Because when you're building a business, monthlies always look better than one-off pricing. Because once right. you have a customer, you continue to have a customer. That's why cell companies are so profitable. They've got two things going for them. First of all, it's a high-profit model. Well, three things. High-profit model. Second, there's monthlies. And third, you're in a contract. And you're mm. obligated to pay that for one, two... It used to be three years, but they've, in, I know in Canada, two years is as high as they can go. And you've no, probably noticed, too, they've raised the monthly cost based upon a shorter-term contract. And they blame, well, we have to pay the phone off a little sooner and that... But really, when you sit down and break it apart, it, it it allows them to make a slightly higher profit margin at the end of the month. That's right. So I would believe that software as a service will work for us. And I'm this is a model that I'm not throwing into the trash can. I believe once we have five or six products, then we can approach them and say, hey, guys, you have access to, and we'll say to our whole list of people who are our, our clients at that point in time, um, you, ha you have access to one of our products or a couple of our products, now, how would you like to 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 get this as a service? And we would charge you $37 a month for everything. And you have access to, and you don't have access to these products right now. You automatically get access with no initial payment. and But you just have to pay $37 a month, and you would get all updates, all new revisions, all new everything. I think at that point in time, we would find a class of people who would say yes. Yeah, I think at that point, the subscription model makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because we have the economy of scale on our side. We right. have a lot of clients at that point in time that we can canvas. They have trust with us. That's the second thing. And third is the fact that there's strong value for what they're getting. Now, the one thing we haven't really talked about is how to position your product or service. We kind of talked about it a bit when it comes about pricing and structurally wise, but a lot of people still struggle with the, the, the whole concept of positioning their product. Even for us, it's been an interesting prospect because our product, uh, the Livestream Genius, is a video marketing product. It's it's a video product for people who are doing video marketing and that. And, and everybody should be. <laughs> everybody should everybody should be doing. Everybody this. should be doing some video. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true, and it has its definite place. But we were talking to a prospective partner yesterday. And he does no video marketing. His marketing is local, 
local SEO, like doing local business, and it's all textual. There's no video involved. Now, he's very interested in the video. So what happened was, you know, his group of people, there might be people in his group that will have an interest and will purchase, but we've already um, talked to groups whom have strong interest and they're already deep into video marketing, and they have been our clients smoking dead on, and we make a lot of sales for them. So it, it is important to find and position your product to the right people. And, and with today's day and age, funny enough, even though we're more connected, it seems to be getting harder and harder to do that thing. There is, uh, in, in our day and age as well, trust is at an all-time, in my belief, it's at an all-time low. I think so too. They're, everybody's so inundated with everybody coming at you through the digital process that they're all unknowns out there. It used to be back in back back in the day, back when I was a young lady, um, and I worked with with the bank. I worked long distance via telephone mm. with colleagues in distant offices who I had never met, and we didn't have video conferencing. We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. But because you dealt with them over and over again, and it was the same person, you developed that level of trust. Very difficult when you have a choice of 20 people that are all inundating you with the same product or service, right? Mm-hmm. And I think also that that trust factor has even more been eroded over the fact that not only it's a, a dilution through how much there is, but it's a, there's dilution because the fact that there's a lot of people who do shady things. And yes. they come to the table and they look great, and then you find yourself $100 short, or um, one customer that I have personally... He's forty thousand dollars short with a with a oh. big client with a big uh, company, and he's hang, held hang, holding the bag, and so that builds a level of distrust in general. Yeah, that's for sure. I know even in my wife's business, she has a quilting business, and um, she battles that trust. Now, how does she market herself? How does she, she's a good example? She finds people who are like minded, who are, who are her customers, mm-hmm. and what she does is she shows them the results of her work. She um, uh, recently did a quilt top. She she does this big machine and she puts all the, she sandwiches them all together basically. and But she does the fancy stitchery to put it all together. And she had been given a uh, quilt top that uh, was passed down to her uh, by a lady who had done it but had um, passed away unfortunately. And uh, so Brenda's was like, well, I'm going to finish it. It's a very beautiful quilt top. It's well done. And she took the quilt top and made it she went from it being a very pretty quilt top to being a very elegantly pretty quilt top. Mm. It really, when I saw it initially, I was like, there's so much embellishment on this already. How are you going to make, anything you do is going to make it look worse. (laughs) You know, but that's my, the male side of me coming out and not seeing a result, but because she's so creative, she's able to look at that top and she was able to embellish it in a tasteful manner. And she took it in and when she showed the, the she, well, she took it, I'm not even telling you where she's taking it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she focused herself into a quilt group that has a lot of members and her business doesn't require hundreds and hundreds of customers. It just requires a small loyal group of customers to keep her very busy, but you have to build that trust. And that trust mm-hmm. is hard won. It's very hard won because her service is a high cost service. First of all, it, it, it costs anywhere from 100 to $300 to do a quilt top. So it's not, it's not a $20 job. And second, that person is giving you possibly several hundred hours worth of work that you could totally mess up. So I right. think that's really the problem. I don't even think it's the entry cost. I think that's the problem. People have poured their hearts into something they built. 
and they're giving it to somebody else to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the trust factor is. Now that people have seen, and every, every week Brenda goes into this group and she shows, not to advertise, but you know, all the ladies like to show what they've done. So she says, oh, I want to show you. And she does some quilts for charity. So that builds trust as well. And uh, she shows what she's done. And she, she always tries to do an outstanding job. Uh, she's very particular about how things look when things are done, which is excellent. It's good. And, uh, well, she took this particular quilt top in and she came home with four jobs. Hmm. You know, she literally came home with almost a thousand dollars worth of work because people were just, they saw this and it tipped them over the edge. And then they said, wow, that's amazing. You know, could you do this for me? And she's like, well, for me to do these embellishments, it is a little more expensive, but yes, I can. So she walked away because the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding and, and she's building that trust that she needs to have. And, uh, we as product or service providers have to build that trust. Now, sometimes it's tough. One thing that a lot of people don't do, and I'm sure, Nancy, you've seen it a million times, and even I'm the cobbler with the kids with no shoes, mm-hmm. is you need the testimonials. The testimonial for Brenda is the finished quilt. Right. Look at this. And she posts all her quilts on Facebook, a specialized Facebook group on quilting. She posts them to all her quilting groups. Look at the quilt, the lovely quilt that uh, that this lady had done, and I was able to put together for her. It's just beautiful. Is she advertising her services? Yes, but is she advertising her services? No. She's showing the ladies what they like to see. They like to see beautiful quilt tops, right. and her name is associated with that. And it's that continuous inundation of showing and showing and showing, and the trust goes up. And it's I find the trust is almost like a watermark, and it just slowly goes up. And eventually they get to the point where they're like, okay, I'm in. Well, Instagram, there's a, a, a reason why Instagram is, I don't know, I think I read that it is the fastest growing social media platform right now because, you know, what are people doing on there? They're taking pictures of their quilts or their mm-hmm. whatever is and posting them on there. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, we have to, so when we want to position a product, we have to find people whom could be our prospective customers. Sometimes they are moves and shakers who know your prospective customers. For us, right. in our software business, that is it. For, even for Brenda, in her business, she goes to where the people hang out. Like for you, Nancy, I know that you did a show, just a show, uh, like a training session. You went and and advertised yourself and produced and showed your knowledge through a just a simple... Just a speaker presentation. Just a yeah. speaker presentation. But again, you're getting yourself in front of the people who are interested in that particular niche, topic, service, product, or whatever it is. That's right. So it does require to get out there. And now the cobbler with no shoes. You need to keep a living record of testimonies. And a testimony could be you've got the videotaping of that session. That's social proof that you're talking to live crowds. Uh, Brenda has to take pictures of her quilts and post them and, and, and get testimonials. Whenever we have a lady who she's thrilled with the job, some people come in and they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. <laughs> and they're not really a great testimonial customer, but sometimes you get somebody come in and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you say, hey, can we do a quick video testimonial? You want the raving advocates. You want the raving advocates. And we then ladies are like, wow, this is amazing. We've actually had ladies crying on camera. This is beautiful. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's, what a testimony. Yeah, What for a sure. testimony. And Emotional. what we do is we provide those testimonies uh, to potential customers. That, again, is, 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 is it's social proof. It's proof 
that other people have dealt with you and they are thrilled with what you've done for them. Yeah, uh, even I know. Value. Yeah, true. And even I know, even for little purchases, it doesn't, the, the higher the price, the more the proof you normally need. But even on small purchases, I'm saying like a $20 product or a $27 product, you have to have social proof. Mm-hmm. Like how did we do it initially with our software when we had no customers? We gave it to the, we, we brought in a small core group of beta testers. We didn't charge them anything. And we said, test it and tell me what you think. And they came back with, you know, reports, you know, you need to fix this, you need to fix this. But, you know, we had people come back to us and say, wow, this is amazing. And we said, can you do a video testimony for us? Oh, sure. And they get on, wow, this is amazing. And I can do this and I can do this. And it's just, oh, it's, it's great. And, and uh, they sent us over the video. And then we, you know, we put our gloss onto it to make it look good. But it, we still have those testimonies on our website, on our sales page. Well, not only that, but as somebody who is privileged enough to to be part of that core group of beta testers uh, for your product, uh, I get to be part of this closed face Facebook group as well. And and although I haven't interacted as much as I like, I know there's there's one woman on there, and holy smoke, she is just she seems to be amazing on on everything that she's trying to do with your with your product and mm-hmm. and uh, the the feedback that you get. She she was. I think your biggest poster on there other than <laughs> other than Mike. <laughs> right, right. And Mike's the part my partner in this. She <laughs> is. She actually she's been um not a difficult customer by the stretch of imagination, but a very interactive customer. And um it's been brilliant working with her because she's brought some great ideas to the table. And she said, you know, it'd be nice if we could do this and I I'd found this here problem here and and uh, she's actually one of our customers. And like you said, uh, we're starting to take snaps out of the uh, the uh, the Facebook group chat because there we get such good reviews on our product because of that. But that's what we want to see. That's we we advocate the fact to everybody that we're here for the long term. We're not here for a week to steal your money, and make a million dollars, and fly to Bermuda with it. We're not in. We're not drug lords. <laughs> you know, we're we're into this for the long term. We're here to be with you and to be your. We want you to be our partner, not our customer, but our partner in this venture. And um, and that's a critical component too, Frank, when you're looking at pricing your product is, is what is your end game? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it something that you're looking at that everybody understands on a level playing field, that it's a one-off? Or is it something that you are looking to develop a long-term relationship and, and more and more products and services integrated into that? Very true. And that is... You know, that's the option I wanted to take. I wanted to, I wanted my customers to, to purchase the first product and say, this is great. And when I bring out the second product, they don't even think about it. They just buy it. Yeah. You've got a track record with them. Now you've got the proof that, right, that right. you are there, not only just to sell them, but to service and support. Mm-hmm. And one thing too, uh, when, when this is probably a completely different show and I know we're running out of time. <laughs> But, you know, make sure you follow up your product. One thing, too, is I, even with your service, educate the customer. Educate the customer. If you want to keep returns to an all-time low, educate the customer. Always educate your customer. And I don't know how that looks for your business. I know for our business with the software, we're educating them on how to strategies on how to use the software, how to use the software in general, strategies on how to use the software, how to produce uh, profit with the software, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those components play into your pricing structure. Correct. You know, as and you know, we we've already and and here's an interesting thing that can happen from that is we can spin off the training as a separate product eventually, when we can sell right. that in a completely different 
uh, venue and uh, bringing customers through that as well, you know, once we build that up. And that's part of our, our plan as well. Our customer base who have access to the product still have access to that information. They don't lose any of that. But then we can bring in a whole new group of people who are just looking for information and not necessarily a product. And of course, we'll say we can make this a lot simpler if you had, but you can still can do this this way. And uh, I think that's a very important point to make. But um, any last thoughts that you think we did not hit on there, Nancy, when it comes to pricing and positioning? I think we pretty much hit, as, as we've talked through this, this uh, uh, prospect or project today, we can see that there's a lot of things that lie deeper and deeper levels. It's just like levels of an ocean, right? You, mm. you, you talk about where you get things. But the fundamentals are you do have to identify um, who your market is and how you're going to provide your product or service and test those price points to make sure that you're bringing, bringing the value um, and benefiting so that you can bring the clients to the door. Very true. I'm just thinking here too. I just want to make sure we didn't miss anything there. I think we hit the nail on the head on this one again. We've hit a lot of the major points. So make sure I believe that it's pricing. I think one thing we have to remember is pricing really does give a sense of value to not only your customer, but you as well. If you're selling a product for $1,000, then you want to give $1,000 with a value. If you're selling a product for $10, you want to give $10 with a value. And I think your customers will see that as well. It, 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 pricing is also important and it didn't hit in the show, but I think price is important because if you're if you priced your product correctly, it also shows another level of honesty because you're exactly, being honest yeah. with the customer about how much this is going to cost them. We've talked a bit about how to position your product and service, you know, looking for the right groups to talk to, at, at places where you can build trust. There's lots of venues you can have. There's online, there's offline, there's mailing, there's newspaper. There's so many different venues, and as you mentioned, make sure you have a marketing plan and test your markets and gauge their value. And that's one thing that we do, too, is we gauge our value in our markets. And uh, finally, have realistic expectations. Try to forecast your product forward by looking at your prospective sales. Make sure they're realistic. Figure out what your timeline is uh, the, the, to pay back the product and make a profit. And uh, I think we got it. Yeah, one thing we didn't talk about is make sure that you don't spend the returns that you haven't got in your pocket yet either. <laughs> That's a whole different that show. Goes, that, goes, that goes with the unreal expectations. <laughs> That's very true. You know, and that's one thing too that we, because we're in the software business and we do offer a guarantee, I don't pay any profits out until it passes beyond the guarantee point. That way we never are short. Right. So Nancy, tell us where we can find you if we want to find you online for marketing services. Our website is www.agapimarketing.com. That's A-G-A-P-I marketing.com. And looking forward to seeing you there. You can sign up for our newsletter. We don't spam. We send out one newsletter at the end of each month. Excellent. And, and, and Nancy's newsletters, newsletters are great. You know, I read them every month. It's worthwhile read. Thanks, also, Greg. make sure you pop by the smallbusinesstipshow.com site, smallbusinesstipshow.com, and sign up for our um our giveaway which is uh making your passions your purpose always important to make sure that your passions are your purpose i hope to see you there i look forward to uh talking to you again next week nancy thank you so much sounds great frank have a good week yeah you too and uh everybody have an excellent week thanks everyone thanks everyone